Hello, everyone, and welcome to another American Scouser podcast. We are back on this Monday with the regular Monday crew. A huge April ahead of us. I am your host, Timuchin, as always, from Chicago. And with us is the usual crew. Bigler looking more and more business-like with every episode. I'm waiting I'm waiting for a tie next one. What's going on, Bickler? Hey, somebody has to keep the professionalism around here. Well, yeah, it's not going to be us or Galley, that's for sure. Galley, what's happening? <laughs> Nothing, not too much, gentlemen. Living the dream. Living the dream is right. Let's hope it's a beautiful dream at the end of this month. I mean, it's exciting and for a guy like me, nerve-wracking at the same time. But we will start with the good stuff. Uh, BJ sent us his trivia question this week, but he is not able to listen in live because he has his 30th anniversary why that is more important than this i don't get but yeah congratulations to him and the wifey uh for 30 years but he did not forget you guys and sent a question uh with the benfica game coming up tomorrow it is benfica related what is liverpool's record away against benfica we have played them five times away and as an additional tiebreaker, because I'm sure you guys will nail the answer. So as a tiebreaker, we'll take a goal aggregate as well. As always, we start with the businessman, Bickler. What you got? Total goal out aggregate or like average per game? <laughs> uh, well, actually, that's never, the tiebreaker. Why don't you get failed. the answer right first, then we'll go to the tiebreakers. The record. Uh, for- I'll go away. I don't I mean, I don't remember us losing to Benfica ever. I'll go four like away. like we played Porto all the freaking time. Yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I, like, I don't even remember the last time we played Benfica. I would say four wins, zero losses, one draw. Okay. And a gold aggregate guess. Not that we're going to need a tiebreaker in your case, but, you know, for shits and giggles. Nothing? No guesses for the goals? Hey, sorry. I had an airplane going overhead. I had to mute myself. So <laughs> dogs, airplanes, you know, the works. I don't uh, need a dog this week. Goal so aggregate, cool. I will go um, – I'll go 11, 11 – 11-5. Got it. Galley, what do you got? I'm going to go three wins, one draw, one loss, and uh, say uh, Liverpool five games, 13, Benfica five. Okay, I was actually shocked to hear this because my guess would probably be more closer to your guys' guess. Uh, but the record is actually two in three. Uh, two wow. wins, three losses. And actually, we have three straight losses. So hopefully we're going to break the streak tomorrow. And the odd thing was, but despite that, the aggregate is seven to six for, for us in terms of like goals. But yeah, I don't blame you guys for going the other route because I felt, you know, maybe we'd all deceived by the Porto games. But uh, I felt like, you know, we would be. Uh, more dominant over there, but we don't know the situations and stuff like that. But the game is coming up tomorrow. But before we head over to that, let's go back to the weekend and look at the Watford game. I think 
you know, we talked about, you know, how we would approach April uh, or at least our guesses on how we approach April. And looks like it's going to be a slight rotation at all times kind of thing. Or, you know, we're going to basically, I was listening to Klopp today uh, in an interview with uh, not only the, uh, the press conference, but I watched an interview when he was talking to Crouch and he was talking about, you know, not thinking ahead. Only, you know, if somebody's risky, which I feel like, you know, he was almost referring to Trent in this case. Uh, we're not going to risk it with so many games coming up. We're going to play the person that we know for a fact is 100%. Uh, Galley, what do you make of this 11? I mean, uh, it wasn't that far off from the kind of what we were talked about um, last week on the pod when we, when we mentioned that this first match back would be interesting. Never shocked to see Fabinho not in the starting lineup the day after internationals because Brazil always decides to play like the latest possible chance that they can. Um, and they do a lot of the travel. So, you know, Fabinho being on the bench, getting rotated made sense to me. Uh, I thought having Mane on the bench also made sense. You know, come to find out Diaz had a little bit of a knock or had a little injury. And that was what he mentioned was one of the reasons that he probably didn't feature in the match. So, you know, I, I love seeing Bobby out there. Personally, I, I I just prefer Jota through the middle at this point rather than out left, but it worked. And uh, I know we're going to get to man of the match ratings, but, you know, you'll get my stance on Jones and Thiago when we kind of talk about the play that happened. But the lineup didn't really surprise me, honestly. It was kind of what I expected. Speaking of ratings, after every game, uh, Bickler, for those familiar with American Scots, if you've been following us for a long time, uh, Bickler used to write, actually, like type and stuff, all that good stuff. Very, very uh, skilled guy. Is this we interesting we're not, we're not talking about the articles you used to write? No, because we're talking about you right well, now. But oh, okay. <laughs> all right. Okay, got you. <laughs> but, yeah, it's because we're talking about ratings. Don't change the subject. Uh, but yeah, uh, so to bring those back, uh, we had to get rid of the keyboard because Bickler cannot be, <laughs> cannot move his hands when he's away from work. So we got a video version. Actually, we're going to be doing this after every game. Bickler and myself, I'm more like a sidekick on this one where we're trying to get Bickler's ratings out of him. I just happen to be there. Uh, we're going to be doing it after every game as a video format. Uh, and then we're going to be posting those. So when we talked about it on that one, I know Bickler, normally you're very against Gomez as right back, but that was your man of the match. Uh, but we didn't go into the like the squad buildup and the lineup and stuff like that in that video. Uh, what did you make of it, especially the midfield? I mean, obviously Gomez performed, but what do you think of that midfield? I mean, this just goes back into what we talked about last pod where I can never figure out the rotation because I personally never liked Jones on the right side. But if you're going to plug Thiago in, that's where he seems to do best is on the left. So you're kind of pigeonholing Jones into a side that I don't feel he's comfortable on. And then if you look back a couple fixtures ago, we started Thiago on the right. So, like, I don't I don't really understand the the method or the reason behind where they start for the most part. I thought that Hendo did a decent job in the hole. It's not my favorite spot for him, obviously, but I thought he did an all right job. I thought Jones was positionally all over. He looked very lost. Um, he was essentially a ghost, and when he wasn't a ghost, you kind of wished he was. Um, it was a really rough – it was a rough one for him. It really was. Um, and then 
I thought Thiago had like a couple, he had like three absolute world-class passes in the first 15 minutes of that game. And I thought he really just um, put on a masterclass in, in terms of his distribution throughout that match. And we, we laughed a little bit because we almost got a full 90, which is basically a unicorn moment for him to see 90 minutes of him. So um, let's hope that um, we saw, see more long stretches of him. But, yeah, the midfield was interesting. I felt for Jones that was just a match to forget for him, but I thought everybody else was pretty solid. Yeah, that was funny because last week's podcast, I think we talked about getting 90 minutes out of Thiago and he does 89 and leaves. He's like, that's all I'm giving you guys. But uh, so for a man of the match, um, Bickler heads, um, Gomez, I went with Alessandra. I just felt overall there weren't a lot of impressive performances and I kind of went with the person I felt kept us in the game, even though I was listening to Van Dyke today before, like for his uh, pre-match press conference and he implied the save he had right before the goal was offside, but I thought that was mighty close. Gally, who was your man of the match? So I, I, I agree with both those shouts, and they'd probably be the only two players that I would probably say. Yeah, I mean, Matip and, and Van Dyke had good matches in Robo, but they were the, the highlights of the team players, maybe, you know, the only seven or eights maybe, I think were probably Gomez and Allison. I personally feel that it was – like Paul, I, I thought that Thiago was just brilliant. And I thought the fact that he gave us the longevity, I thought he picked up for a lot of what Jones was doing to turn the ball over in tough spots. And Jones continuously put people in bad situations, both the front players in front of him and Thiago at times on the other side of Hendo. And I thought Thiago did what he does. The passes, um, the one where he like looked to the corner and just like basically threw a looping ball around to, I think it was Robo breaking down. And I, I mean, there's only one guy in the entire club that thinks of the past, let alone has the audacity to actually do it. Uh, and I just think he offers such an, a difference. And for me, he would have been um, my man of the match, um, but I completely understand you know, why people are gravitating towards Gomez, especially with, you know, the criticism that has come his way, not just by Bickler, but by myself, by other members on the Facebook community. And, you know, really people have just doubted his return. And if anything we're seeing is, is I do think we're seeing that his actual return to fitness and his speed seems that it's coming back. And I think it bodes really well for him regardless of what the future holds for him at our club or his next club or wherever he plays. Because for my money, he's still England's best center back when he's 100% healthy. And I think performances like that offer him a platform that maybe gets him back into the setup and really has a chance to go, you know, play a pretty special role for his country later this year. So I, 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 I think that, you know, Thiago 1A, Gomez 1B. To Bickler's credit, he usually does not like Gomez as right back, right, Bickler? I mean, you just want to yeah. see him as center back and not as right back. And I, I don't know. Gomez basically has replaced Lovren, I feel like. You know, there's always one scapegoat that the fans find in the back line, and then he gets all the blame. And I feel like whenever he shows up over there, he kind of gets it. And, you know, even in this game, there were a couple of moments where – like maybe he's slightly out of position and with his speed, he makes up for it. But I kind of like almost like a bit more forgiving on this one because he is playing ultimately out of position. That's not really his ideal position. But I thought, you know, when he plays center back, 
he does he is a great pairing with Van Dyke. And now with Konadi, obviously he's not gonna get as many chances there in Matip's form, who probably, you know, could you could make a good case that he's our has been our best center back this year, really, except a few games. So Bickler, obviously, I was afraid that this game could be a game where kind of like we look past morning game doesn't help. Ugly or not, we get the three points. Satisfied overall, or does that give you any concern? Uh, no. I mean, we've been the best side by over like by something like eight points over the last six weeks. And I think I don't care how you get the three points. You know, I, I've been shouting this for months. Like, I'm a big advocate of, of squeezing out games one nil. You know, like, I, you know, my concern was that this team only had one gear and didn't know how to bleed out games. So we are seeing that. I don't, I don't know if you fellows remember, but we had this conversation at the beginning of the season when we were toward, we were towards the top of the table. So it's not like we were struggling. And I, I said, what's the difference between this year's team and the title winning team? And, and, and remember we talked about like none of us felt safe with the two, three goal lead. Right. I think we're approaching territory where I'm feeling safer. Like when we when we take a, 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 a narrow lead in a game, I don't feel as uncomfortable as I've had all season. Now, I know, Tamishin, I know that you're probably a different story, but like I, I feel more confident in this team holding a lead right now than I think I have at any other point in the season. So um, I was happy with the 2-0 win against the only team in the bottom of the, the table that has shown any fight in the relegation scrap, really, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, like like you said, I mean, I'm a nervous wreck whenever we have a one-goal lead, but that's just kind of it's what I do. In terms of, like, play overall, I do agree. It does feel safer than, like, before. Uh, I mean, they've only conceded, like, three goals in the last eight games or some crazy like that. I saw the stat. I can't remember it exactly right now. But, I mean, we've definitely done well. I think Allison has been, like, a big part of that along with the back line. But... How about you, Gally? I mean, are you in the same boat with Bickler over here? Just satisfied to get the three points? That's, that's all that matters. Yeah, I'm not going to talk. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and talk performance when you're coming off a two-week international break, playing the lunchtime kickoff, and you know that you're about to play ten matches in thirty days. Like, come on. Like that's a, like they were preparing to have. They were gonna. They're gonna have some slugfest and sluggish performances too, and we're gonna get more rotation than this side is used to. And one thing we always talk about is the cohesiveness of this side and why Jurgen likes the small squads that he uses. So, you know, I think it's important to look at that. Do I think we've had world-beating performances over this run? I really don't. But the other big key or big piece from the defensive standpoint and why I'm more confident to Paul's point with a 1-0 lead is, you know, Robo doesn't look like, you know, an imposter playing at left back like he did for – eight of the first 10 matches, you know, Van Dyke had some rusty moments. You could almost see him like trusting himself, trusting his speed. And I think that led to some of the, I mean, you know, that led to some of the draws that shouldn't have been draws. Brentford, Brighton, they were individual errors and lackadaisical mistakes that led to key goals that would make any fair and balanced supporter question whether or not this team did have the medal to get back into this. And I, I think they showed that, right? What was it, 11 points back on New Year's Day? It'll be the 
I mean, if, if we pull this off, it'll be like the biggest it, it, city will end up having one of the largest collapses. And really, it will be about us going on a city-esque run. Yeah, knock on wood. Let's keep it going. I mean, huge months, some huge games coming up. And yeah, I just, yeah, don't want to jinx anything. Uh, speaking of, another game this weekend that uh, on Sunday, actually, was the LFC women who are the champions of their division are headed back to the top. I know this was, it suddenly got attention of everyone just because of the importance of the game. I feel like, you know, it has been, they don't get the support that, they should as another Liverpool team. I just don't know if it because of, you know, what do you allude that to, Vickler? Do you think it's because, I mean, we know as American scouts because we try to provide coverage on the team. And even as you try to follow them and report on them, it's kind of hard to get the information to be able to report. Is it just because it's hard to get? Is it, or what is the reason that you, you think? I mean, <laughs> This sounds stupid, but it's because it's a women's sport. I mean, what what sport in this country do you know where the women's following is anywhere close to the men's? Anywhere close. And I'm not saying that that's a justification for it. I just think it's just really simple. I mean, um, and I think, you know, I think it's a shame that for the club, it took them being relegated for the club to write some of the injustices that's been going yeah. on between how they promote and how they get behind the two teams. Um, I am happy that that, that support seems to be coming back around that they seem to be writing some of the wrongs uh, in, in providing this sort of infrastructure for more support. Um, I think that is, I don't expect that they'll ever be anywhere near each other, uh, but I think we can do a far greater job of supporting them and I'm, it's good to see that happening. And I think as a true Liverpool supporter, you have to understand that you're supporting a city and a brand, and they're part of that. And so, like, right. it's our responsibility as supporters to have a vested interest in what happens on that side of the fence. So I know myself, I've been trying to do a better job of following them this year and their story, which is a fantastic one. Um, in in you know, it's not – you know, for me, the product isn't similar and that's where I struggle to maintain my interest. But like I, you know, like I said, I do feel like I have a rooted responsibility to them. Um, and there are some phenomenal stories. So, I mean, good on them. And it's been great to follow. Them. I don't like to say I'm probably more biased than you guys because, you know, I follow women's soccer a lot more just because I have like girls who play it. My wife actually played in college. That's how we met. And so there's like a lot of like women's soccer involvements in the household as well. And I'm a soccer junkie. If it's on, I'm just going to watch it. Doesn't matter if it's like a college game, but it's probably more because, you know, my girls play. I will just keep it on and we'll keep watching, you know, analyzing, blah, 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 because the games are different. And another thing that I noticed, and I think especially for the American fan base, this could be an issue is, you know, people are not used to having the same team kind of like going in different channels. Whereas, you know, growing up in Turkey is like, you know, like a Fenerbahce fan, you know, you have, it's a sports club unlike Liverpool FC, which is a football club, uh, it's a sports club. So they have actually, you know, actually they have like a really good basketball team, you know, mm -hmm. volleyball, freaking wrestling, rowing, you name it, they're in there in terms of like amateur. So like kind of like grew up knowing, kind of like you're saying, Bickler, is supporting a brand, like sporting a club 
regardless of what they're doing, you know. So, like, you watch their basketball game, you watch this and stuff like that. I think, Gally, that's kind of like a foreign concept here because, you know, it's not like Chicago Bulls also has a hockey team. It's Chicago Blackhawks. Yeah, and, and honestly, even, like, you know, FSG is basically a sports consortium at this point. They bought a racing team. They bought a hockey team. They have the Red Sox, but they don't cross any of it. They don't use the Red Sox to cross promote the Pittsburgh Penguins, you know, and I just, it, it, and, and even Liverpool, right. It's, it falls under this angle. The one thing I will say um, without climbing up on my American soapbox to defend the good people of, you know, of the state, they didn't, they didn't start really covering the women's super league in England until last year. It was like, this isn't something that has been like this monster thing. And now Liverpool supporters are getting involved because we got relegated and we came back. They were showing no love to the women's game in their own channels. You know, there are times where we have as much content on our fan supporter website that the Echo has. It wasn't until this year that they put an actual reporter and gave them their own women's page on the website. So, you know, the game is growing there. They've just signed their first ever lucrative TV contract. And from what I understand, the Women's Super League will be aired, I think, on ESPN Plus next year here. Now, there's a big reason that's happening is we have one of the largest fan bases. And they're hoping that those eyeballs will lead to dollars. But to Paul's point, the only real women's sport in America that holds any traction is, and you know, and I have a lot of it where I am here in the Northeast is women's college basketball, because the game is actually different than the men's game completely. And I think if you market the sport that way, you know, I was enamored with the long throwings. I can't lie. They're better than Trent corners. Like I, I stopped watching the Premier League match and switched over so that I could watch the women's match. And so I could have a better understanding of what Kim is doing for the site these days and how we're covering it. And I am proud to say that I feel like, you know, we put on a pretty good coverage of something that's not getting much views. And, you know, I think it's something that we should do more of. And I think it's something that as time goes on, it will grow Liverpool's supporters because Let's be honest, uh, just as many young girls are sitting with their dads like your daughters were, Timuchin, watching our men play, and those little girls deserve to have, you know, female star athletes and role models to grow up looking up to just like we did, you know, with all the great LFC players of the 60s, 70s, and in your case, Timuchin, the 40s. <laughs> Jerk, you have to squeeze that in. But, yeah, I mean yeah. – you brought two good points there that I, you know, I like because when I reached out to, and I want to talk about them next, actually, is the Liverpool Women Sporters Club. And when I first reached out to Joe, who heads the group, I basically what my point was, you know, the women's soccer, even if they're not getting as much attention there, it's definitely a lot bigger over here. And I felt like, you know, we needed to talk about the women's team for one as well as, you know, like provide more coverage because I felt like it would be popular here. And I know at the time they had just started out. This is like two years ago, actually. Uh, they had just started out and they were kind of like trying to build themselves and they're over there. 
so like very proud to i mean this is kind of like their supporters hub from their website right here and you can see us over there and i'm proud to say and i'm actually really really proud to say because like i've been kind of like on this for a long time and to be there and to be this involved and we have kim around who covers the team for us uh we had megan when he went when she went there like went to a game and actually made contact with joe and stuff like that and met her personally and we're gonna actually have joe or you know someone from the liverpool women's sport club uh join us every week like to give a brief update uh on our probably on our thursday podcast as well so we get like more coverage because i feel like they should get more attention i know it's not everybody's cup of tea uh but Ultimately, it's still Liverpool, and I think that's, you know, even if you do not care about women's soccer, which you might not, you might not enjoy because the game is different and everything. I think just the fact that it is Liverpool should be a big enough reason to follow it. So we're going to be providing definitely more coverage of that. Yeah, when I saw that and we were the only, like I say, North American side, it was odd because there were actually two, three sites from Brazil. Uh, well, I also obviously like, you know, soccer is big there and women's soccer and stuff, but we were the only mm -hmm. North American one. So extremely proud and happy about that. And actually, Kim is doing a great job providing regular coverage on them. I will continue to do so as well and bring them on board and hopefully do some interviews and stuff with some of the players in the near future. Uh, hopefully, Joe is going to hook us up with that. Uh, so let's go on to the next topic of this brutal april champions league game tomorrow bickler what are you expecting in terms of rotation having van dyke there pretty much says van dyke is going to be out there but what do you have in terms of a lineup how much of a rotation do you expect tomorrow knowing uh, that of all games this is probably the only game this month that we can kind of afford to have like a draw or something like that yeah i'm trying to think i would I mean, if I'm naming a back four, I would think that you're going to see – I think that you're going to see Rabo and Van Dyke, and then you're going to see Kanate, and you're going to see Gomez at right back. That would be my guess. I know Trent's, like, technically ready. I just can't see us putting him out there. I think maybe he gets a few minutes at the end, 15, 20 minutes at the end. He gets that, like, sort of, like, half-hour run out like Klopp likes to do when he's bringing a player back. Uh, that would be my back four. Uh, midfield is like where you start throwing darts. I don't know. Um, I would think that this would be a spot that you could probably rest Henderson if you wanted to. I just don't know what that looks like. Is that some iteration of Milner and Fabinho and Thiago? Possibly. Um, are you going to put Jones back out there and get him right back on his bike? Are we going to see Ox? I don't know what that's going to look like um in that spot and then on the front i think if diaz is good to go i could see this being a diaz match although Mane's rested at this point too so maybe you see something funky with Mane on the right and diaz on the left and you rest mm -hmm. mo and then you've got uh i think i think it's going to be diego i think it's going to be jota in this match there's a small part of me that feels like we're going to roll Bobby out for City. I'm not real sure why I feel like that. I just, in the back of my mind, I think that he's going to start in City. And then we're going to, so I would say, my, uh, long shot call, Mane on the right, uh, Diaz on the left, and Jota in the center. 
So before we move on to Galley for that lineup, do you like that? Would you rather see that in terms of saving Bobby for City? Yes. I mean, I think what I would think that that would look like is that you would probably roll Bobby at with 25, 30 minutes left and bring someone off and let him get a little bit of a run uh, and get some rotation that way. Because I think you're going to need – you're still going to need Jota for City, you know? So I think that it's going to be almost like – I could see them almost flipping, like one plays 60 this game and then the other plays 30, and then the other guy starts and plays 60 and the other guy plays 30 at City, something like that. Yeah, this month is going to be a challenge, Galley. I mean, not only due to the number of games, but it's a healthy squad overall. So there are a lot of possibilities and we're going to really see how well we handle the squad management. But what do you have for a lineup or what would you like to see, I guess, with the city game in mind? Not, not too far, honestly, off Paul's, um, you know, initial response there. I, I do think that back four is what we'll get. I think it'll be Kanate and Van Dyke with Robo and um, Gomez. I could see, you know, in an ideal scenario, we're two nil up at 60 minutes, you know, and we bring on Trent to get minutes. We bring on, you know, Costas to give Robo a little bit of a breather for maybe 20, 30 minutes. We do have five subs, you know, it'll be interesting to see if he uses them all. Um, so we have that luxury. I too, I think the midfield will be Fabinho, Keita and someone else. I, I, I don't know you can roll Tiago back out there again to start this match after just playing almost 90 minutes. And I think that in an ideal world, you just wrap him, wrap him up in wool and he doesn't, you know, do anything till and he doesn't play. Um, you know, could it be Jones again? You know, I don't want it to be Keita Ox and Fabinho. I've seen that story. Um, I'm, I'm kind of done there, but it, maybe it's an Ox match and he's the one that gets this nod on the right and to give Hendel the rest, I really feel like the captain needs a break. And um, and I think Thiago probably does too. I, I think Keita plays this match. Keita started something ridiculous, like high percentage of every Champions League match has been available for. It's almost like Jurgen trusts him more playing in Europe than he does playing in the Premier League. So I, I think Keita would be the first name in, in the midfield with Fab and Maybe it's Jimmy. Maybe it's old man Milner, you know, pick up his yellow card. Now, the other thing I didn't look up was the yellow card situation. Um, we have two or three players on suspension, I believe, if they pick up the yellow, which would be for the second leg. Um, and those reset after this. So would you, would you like, you know, would you like it to maybe have a guy go out there, do a little Sergio Ramos and, pick up a yellow so there's no chance he's picking up that yellow and getting suspended for the first match of the semifinal. You know, I, I think there has to be some stri actual strategic looking at some of this. Yeah, it's almost like a lot of moving parts. Alan says we'd rather keep RoboCup for City and play Costas against Benfica. And yeah, Benfica has several and several key players on a yellow card as well that might be out for like the game back at Anfield. And I do actually agree with that. I do think we're going to see Costas as left back. I know we keep saying, you know, at least, you know, the players 
actually like Van Dyke repeated it like four or five times saying, as the manager says, as the manager says, because I'm assuming he says it like 30 times a day at their meetings that the next game, one game at a time and stuff like that, which is good. But I almost feel like that's having said that you kind of got to look long term and we got a game coming up on Sunday, which is huge for the season for Premier League. And you would think like Thiago, like you said, Galli, after playing 89 minutes, you would want to keep him for that. Trent, I almost feel like he will not start, but we will give him a run out like 20 minutes or something like that at the end. Mm-hmm. So he gets some game speed action before he starts Sunday, because I think that's key. You don't want to have Trent not play at all and then suddenly show up and start against City at right back. I feel like we'll get him like 15, 20 minutes. The front three is probably like the most interesting part to me. And I do agree with Bipper on that one. I do think we see Mane Diaz and maybe Mo does need that rest, which we talked about this when we were talking with Bipper about ratings. Uh, so let me ask you, Gally, what do you make of Mo's performance overall or the reasons behind it? It's just not, I mean, his regular self, almost like forcing it a bit too much uh, this weekend as well. There were some rumors that the contract was done, but nothing is official because, I, honestly, I don't trust the sources till it's official anyway. What do you make of it? Uh, I thought he was – I mean, I hate saying this because it sounds like it's – like he didn't try or effort, but he didn't look interested. He looked disenfranchised from his teammates at times. He had a couple – Decent touches in the first half. I thought he kind of disappeared after, you know, when the second half began. And he looked like a guy who has had a really, really tough couple months. He's played an enormous amount of emotional football. He weighs the weight of his entire country on his superstar shoulders. And, you know, all the extra minutes, all the extra miles on the legs, not scoring the goals. And I think the contract is weighing on him. I think you can see it. He knows the questions are coming. And I think he knows he has a really, really tough decision on his hands. And, you know, we act sometimes like these guys should just be automated and they can't, and they're not human. I mean, he's in the prime of his career. He he basically was semi-useless in the last World Cup based on the injury he got in the Champions League final. He's not in this World Cup, and there's no guarantee he'll still be at that level four years from now when they have a chance to qualify again. So I think that there's just a lot of, um, you know, he's got a lot of going on. I think it was in his mind a little bit, and it's it's a reason why I would have him start from the bench. I didn't go to the front because my three would be Paul's, and I reiterate what he said. But I think you you give yourself the luxury of playing Mane down the right by having Diaz, and I think both the guys. I think Diaz would like to go rip it up in Portugal again. He knows the Benfica players maybe better than anyone. And it showed the, you know, getting to go back and play in his home country as well. So I, I think the two of them will, will play, you know, from the start. Dave Jennings says, can Galley pronounce Robo with two Bs? Let's have a Galley. Robo. Good job. Uh, big... <laughs> Mission accomplished, wish granted. Um, so, Bickler, I know you were, when we were talking about the ratings, you said it was mostly physical too. Do you think if this contract is really happening and it gets out of the way, it's kind of like a big load off the shoulders? Because I do agree with Galley that, you know, the World Cup and everything, there is so much going into it. But at least this would be something huge out of the way good or bad the national team drama is out of the way i mean obviously it's bad and it probably stings but 
once the contract is out of the way, there is really nothing else to focus on but the game itself. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a I think it's a culmination of things. I don't think it's a hundred percent the contract. I mean, I think Gally touched on how many minutes he's played um, of just like hugely emotional games. Yeah, I think it's I think it's a combination of things, and I think it's I, I think he just when you look at him, he's had stretches. It feels like almost every year he has a like six to eight week stretch where he just doesn't necessarily bang him in. Um, and when he does have those stretches, he tends to like he doesn't tend to necessarily like distribute the ball and get in better positions. He tries to make magic happen sometimes. And I think that's when it gets really frustrating as a supporter is because you're like, look, dude, you're not going to dance through all eight players in the box right now. And in the form that you're at, you've done that versus Watford. You've done, we've seen that versus Tottenham. We've seen it in a couple matches, but just when he's fighting for form, he doesn't have the ability to do that. And, and you see him down in there trying to do that when sometimes he's better just, making the defense respect his pace and making room for other everybody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, and to his credit, I mean, in the beginning of the season, I mean, yeah, like just playing with ridiculous, like confidence. I was talking about it in the ratings video, like his, I think that's the fourth goal that he scored against United. That goal by itself, I think describes like his confidence at the time with his touch and everything. It's just a shot that normally right now, if he gets that ball, he's trying to control it. And then shoot it. He's not taking a one-time shot to it. I know, like, score at the time makes an impact too. But I think part of it is just the confidence and needs to get it back. And he does. But to his credit, I think, like, players like Diaz and Jota and stuff have benefited. And they have done well, partially due to all the attention Mo gets on the other side as well. So kind of, like, got to give him that. And... Like I say, when we talked about it, I think it was last podcast, I still feel like he is the key. Jamie says he will shine again under the lights, under the spotlight of night football and with the big games coming up. I hope so, because I really think still that he is the key to success. Uh, Definitely not success of my fantasy team, though, because, yeah, I managed to. I was like, let me go get the guy that kind of brought me to, I mean, Mind you, I was at 40, if not like I'm running for the top. But let me get the guy who brought me there, picked him back up, captained him. And yeah, uh, of course, he comes out. Then we get the penalty stuff. So let's take a look at these fantasy. Bickler, what is going on with Kelly? She is now second, almost 30 points behind. I'm still trying to reach Kashif Sati and bring him on the podcast so that we can jinx his team. Bickler himself... And this is just freaking shocking and just says everything you need to know about fantasy is seventh right now. Bickler, what the hell? You know, it's just proof that if you like apply yourself and, and dream big and try really okay, hard, moving on. Anything's possible. <laughs> oh god. Talking about applying yourself, but only being 13th behind Bickler, who does nothing but talk smack about fantasy football with me to give his credit is galley in the 13th spots galley i know number one is out of reach but you think you're gonna take on bickler at least probably not um i think i said this on one of the prior pods this, this whole damn game comes down to using the stupid chips right and i blew it and when you blow it they're just it, they're they're so valuable points wise 
There are a couple big – they made an announcement today to anybody. Every Premier League match has now been scheduled. So all the makeup matches are in the app. And so you know, you know, I think there's double game weeks in like 33, 36, 37. So there'll be a lot of people using those chips and angling wild cards. And, and not me because I got, I think, a free hit left. And uh, that's what we'll – We'll see what we can do if maybe on that big double game week, uh, Paul can go back to his early season form where he would forget to set his lineup or leave guys with, you know, double digit hauls on the bench for a nice, like one pointer guy that comes in and gets subbed in late. Uh, I think at one time he had Tony on the bench scored 17 points and he had Jorginho in his lineup. Um, basically says it all. And then, then proceeded to tell me for half an hour how terrible Jorginho was in discord. And then I was like, he's on your team. He's like, I know. I think that's why I think he's so terrible. Um, but, uh, you know, one of my favorite parts is, is all the bitching actually led to Paul paying attention more. And that's what made him actually show up and move up the standings. So basically, so. you're welcome, Tamuchin. I woke up, you know, unnecess- the manager of unnecessary pet drama. So he would leave you at the bottom of page one and make a run to the top and, you know, and at the same time left me in the dust. Like, yeah, I was like, I don't understand that you're welcome. You're not doing me any freaking favors. Uh, you honestly, though, I basically give credit to the segments. If we did not talk about this on the podcast, I don't think Big Little would be paying attention. This whole, if you're really a surgeon. <laughs> Let's face it. You guys are stumped and can't figure it out. <laughs> But I will give this to Gally. I really think, yeah, more than picking the right players, it's all about when to use those freaking cards. If I didn't realize, if I knew the difference between free hits and wild card, I might be in a lot better position right now. Maybe I'd be 39th or something instead of 42nd. But live and learn for next year. I'm going to have to come up with a different team name and go after unnecessary pet drama. So while we're looking at standings, let's look at some different standings. I figure we kind of like we haven't visited this topic in a while with everything slightly changing. Let's see where we're at. I really was hopeful Bernie would pull something off. After our game on Saturday, because they had a lot to play for, and Sean Dyche is the douche that he is himself, and they lose to City. I really was hoping they could pull something off. Uh, but let's start with the bottom. I watched the Arsenal game today, and we were actually chatting in our Discord fan channel that nobody seems to want this uh, fourth spot. Nobody wants to go to Champions League. But let's start with the bottom of the table first before we go over there. Galley has your... Prediction for the bottom three of who's leaving the Premier League changed over the last month or so? You know, I was really worried. I mean, I think I said it a few podcasts ago, and clearly, you know, they were listening and they woke up. But I was worried about Brentford. They had gone eight matches with just a draw, and then they pulled out three out of four. So, you know, I, I, I don't think they're getting sucked in. I think they're safe. I think Leeds made a smart move in appointing – uh, Jesse Marsh, and I think he's actually proving that he's kind of galvanizing that squad and enough of Bielsa. So I think Leeds is going to be safe. I still think it's down to one of uh, Burnley Everton. And with the matches in, in hand and just the more talented roster, I'd probably argue that Everton stays up. But to Paul's point earlier on the podcast, Watford, they came – to play 11 behind the ball and look for an opportunity to strike and steal a point. And that's what a, that's what a side in a relegation battle has to do. So if any one of those teams snuck out, 
I think it's Watford actually that might be able to string a couple wins. You know, that Everton Watford match and the Everton Burnley match, they're going to be so important because if they lose those two matches, there's a chance that they're relegated with a week or two left in the season. And I couldn't imagine what that would look like for Everton supporters and, you know, for Frank Lampard. And I just, you know, I, I, they are in, they have a month that could shape the next 10 years of their club. They could easily pull a leads, go down, lose their players, lose their funding and, and genuinely be in trouble to get back up. Um, and I just think that they have to look at that and think to themselves, like we're in an absolute fight. And I don't know that I'd rather have Frank Lampard on my side than Sean Dyche if I'm in the fight. Oh, I know. I wouldn't. <laughs> Thank you. No, that's like, it was a rhetorical question. I'm good at this. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I agree with Galley. I think Watford has an outside chance of squeezing out of this thing. If you look at the run out, Burnley has got a pre- pretty favorable run out. They play all the bottom teams. They're well versed in relegation scraps. So I think Burnley's got a chance of sneaking out of there. I still think Leeds is in a spot and a very precarious spot because the teams behind them, there's a number of teams that have two or three games in hand on them. They played 31 matches. Burnley and Everton have played 28. Um, so I think there's, if Leeds is not careful, I think they could still be in a spot. I think the real, I think the real situation here, you look at this Everton schedule and like besides the Burnley matchup, they've got United, Palace, Leicester, Liverpool, Chelsea, Leicester again. I don't see them winning any of those. They play Brentford. That's probably, I mean, that one could go either way, depending on which Brentford team shows up. And then they end with Arsenal. So like they've got, they've got a real problem. Like it's going to be very, yeah, man. I would not. I mean, aside from not ever wanting to be an Everton fan anyway, I would really not. This is a bad spot to be in if you're a supporter. And that's the thing. And honestly, and I know it would not be good for the city. And I don't have as big of a hatred for Everton like I do for United. We talked about this before. Uh, but man, Lampard is the wild card there for me. I would love for that jackass to go down. I don't know why. And I think that's that's why I'm kind of now that Newcastle is in the clear. Uh, and I would ideal scenario would be Watford making out of there. That game, and I know Watford is not good at home. Actually, most of their points they've gotten kind of away from home. Uh, but that there's like two huge games though, and Everton are away at both of them, Watford and Burnley. And yeah, that schedule, man, because even games that seem like, you know, oh, we can at least get three points there and stuff at home are against Brentford and Crystal Palace, who we saw today. I mean, they've been playing a lot better. I think throughout the season, that's one of the like the, the most improved award could probably go to them uh, in terms of the football they play. That is not going to be an easy game. That is a very tough team to play away. So it's going to be interesting. I mean... It's is death an option because I will love both Sean Douche and Lampard to go down together and Watford make it, but I still think Watford is not gonna make it out of there and go down. But uh, how about top four? Uh, speaking of today's game where Arsenal had a huge chance to kind of like kind of distance themselves a little bit and take advantage of that game in hand, and they kind of like bottle it up. So now Tottenham. 
has 30 games played at 54. Arsenal is at 29 at 54. Then West Ham has 31 games at 51 and United at 30 games at 51. I almost feel like the last two are probably almost out of the equation, but what do you think, Gary? Yeah, I, I mean, I think we've been talking about it on this podcast and I've been saying that I like Spurs chances and at times flipping flopping over to Arsenal's chances. You know, I think I'll go back again if I had to <laughs> bet on it. If I had to bet on it, I'll bet with the team that has the best player the best goal scorer and the best manager. So I'm going to say it's Spurs because I think that even with the game in hand, that they um, Spurs still have the match against Arsenal. So they have the North London Derby to be made up so they can make up the three points, even that they lose. Um, and to the point that you guys made earlier, the Arsenal run in, obviously, you know, Spurs have to play us. But Arsenal has Chelsea away, United, West Ham, Tottenham away, and then they have Newcastle and Everton to end it. So you could probably think if they need six points at the end, they can get back into it. But, you know, that's a lot of matches. And, you know, Tottenham doesn't have extra matches. They're not playing in the Europa Conference or Europa League. So there's no real, you know, advantage there. And, and if I'm going to bet on it, I'm going to bet with the team that looks like they're playing the best. And, He's finally look, making it look like they're understanding the defensive responsibilities to be in a Conte system. And I think what we saw on the weekend is if they want to, to Paul's point, you know, Conte decided how much fun it was scoring goals and they just didn't stop. Um, you know, I, I really just really believe that Spurs will kick on probably lose, they'll lose to us. They'll probably drop some more points somewhere, but I do believe that, uh, they have the easier running and that they have the better team. How about you, Bickler? Who you have running for the sports? Yeah, so I've, I think we've danced around this all year between Tottenham and Arsenal. I think Galley's kind of been with, with Spurs from the get go. And I've kind of backed Arsenal. Um, I, I kind of have to agree with, with Galley at this point, it looks like if you're looking at it on form, it looks like Spurs are going to be able to nick this thing just because they are the team that's been more consistent. Like, Arsenal had an incredible last couple months, but their play does drop and it drops out of nowhere. Whereas if you look at Spurs in the games, they've struggled, they still usually been defensively pretty sound, which is Conte's MO. So I think down the stretch, now that they're scoring, I think you got to go with, uh, I mean, Son and Kane is just sort of a magical combination that can carry that team. And let's be honest about that game, Harry Kane, they score five goals and Harry Kane gets none of them. And he was still the best player on the pitch. Yeah. And I mean, he was phenomenal. It was, it was the master class of Harry Kane and you saw the maturation of him. And I'll say this, I'm very thankful that he didn't go to city because I can't imagine how dynamic that offense would be if he and Kevin De Bruyne were setting up players all over that pitch. And I think in the long run, them not getting him might end up being like a really big win, even though Holland's probably on his way. Um, Cause I think Kane actually plays a better number nine for them, more like a 10 that scores all the goals. And I, I just think that he, he was very, very, very good. I was, you know, really impressed with his play and you could see he was enjoying it and whatever that pouty guy was, you know, who didn't get his move. That seems to be gone. 
And I think Antonio Conte can get that out of players because I think he's the type of guy that makes you want to play for him, especially when it's going good. And right now it's going good. So they'll ride that momentum probably to fourth. Yeah, I agree. I feel like, I mean, even though obviously Holland is like a great player, I think in terms of efficiency, Kane would serve them a lot better as much as I can't stand them. I think I will be more worried about that just with his passing and movements being a lot better and not necessarily having to be a target man all the time uh, that Holland would. But let's hope neither one of them happens. We got enough troubles uh, the way it is. I mean, I thought Arsenal looked like they would struggle against the top four and top five, but they would find ways to win the other games. But that has changed. And I have to say, I thought the moves that Tottenham made with Kluszewski and stuff like that in January is kind of like paying dividends now and kind of like they've been on a run. Uh, I think that was like a great pickup for them uh, to have somebody else on the other wing that can produce. So I think I'm going with Spurs too. It goes back to Galley's argument, I think, in terms of having the best player and having the better coach. And Arsenal, you look at that Arsenal team today, if they're not clicking, there's really... I just don't see... And Martinelli came in afterwards, but I feel like he can be kind of taken out of the game on that wing. There's really nobody on that Arsenal team that can kind of create something and pull a victory off for you. Whereas Spurs has a couple of players like Son, Kane, and stuff like that that can make something happen, even if a day you're playing poorly and get the three points out for you and stuff like that. So I think my money is on Spurs too, uh, to go to the floor. So here's a good question for you guys. Would you rather be... Let's play a little would you rather. Uh, if you're not fourth, would you rather be just sixth so that you take Europe off and make a title run next year and not worry you about it? Go well, I guess, no, wait. Now you have to go to the stupid uh, conference tournament, right? Right. And and don't and don't forget that the you know the 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 conference tournament, and then you also have the the caveat that if the winner of the FA Cup is a team that qualifies for Champions League, that would become a European spot as well for a Wolves or for a, another rung down. So there's a chance that the Premier League could end up with six, seven teams into Europe, and then the automatic qualifications because they got rid of, you know, West Ham can still win the Europa League and qualify as a fifth team for champions. That's true. So there's, there are, and, and Leicester can still win the Europa Conference, which they're favored in. And if they win that, they would qualify for the Europa League next year, even if they don't finish in the top six or seven. So, you know, this could end up bumping United out. Um, you know, Dave Leslie, I, I think, made a comment over there. And I would think of the same thing. The way Chelsea's playing right now, Spurs could be looking at that going, why can't we make a run and catch Chelsea and finish third the way we pipped them for third last year when everyone thought the best we could do was fourth. So, um, you know, it, it's going to be interesting as we as we take this one, you know, as we take this one to the bank, really, as, we, as this one finishes out. Yeah, see, like, goes back to my argument about Tottenham. I feel like Chelsea is the same way. They have some players that can kind of pull you off. I know they look like crap this weekend, but I feel like they can kind of, like, pull off some wins and they have the game in hand and the point advantage already. If this was probably a month or so ago with all the drama going on, I'd probably be more worried. But I feel like they pulled it off. They already played us. They already played 
city so they got those games out of the way so their schedule is a bit more favorable but let's just hope we win the champions league and they can do whatever the hell they want so let's go to tomorrow get some predictions bickler you are on first what do you have um i will go two nil okay stressful for nil or am i going to be able to kick back or what's going on no i think it'll be an uneventful kind of a comfortable two nil what do you have, Gally? Uh, I think we're going to come out and go for it a little bit early. And I think that with that, we may leave some room in the back. And with the heavy rotation, um, I think they, they have a chance to score. I do think we'll win by two. So I'll say, you know, Liverpool three, um, Benfica one. I'm going with 2-1 because I love to stress. Uh, Alan Walnut says 1-1. I'm going with 2-1 because I feel like, I think you're right, Galia. I think we might have an opening in the back. That's the only thing that scares me when we do the rotation because this team, and I know we always complain about, like, you know, match traffic and stuff like that, but uh, I know we play a high-energy game, but this play plays better when it's, like, the same squad kind of, like, moving through. And that's what I worry when you have, like, Acostas or somebody filling in in the back with the mistake be more costly and stuff like that. I mean, they were asking Van Dyke about the high line today and it was kind of like, you know, like talking about that a little bit. And yeah, I mean, it's only, it's a lot of communication and it only takes like one hiccup to kind of like expose Ali back there who, I mean, like Victor was saying uh, in our ratings thing, I think that's why he's back there. I mean, he can make those saves on 1v1. Well, gentlemen, We'll see you guys next Monday after two freaking huge games. So we could be extremely excited. Maybe Bitler will be back to his hoodie in excitement. Uh, but uh, no, not really. Uh, but either way, we'll be back next Monday. Thanks to all those listening. Give us a share, a like, and we'll see you guys on Thursday's podcast. But this crew will be back on Monday. Take it easy, everyone.